Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 13 and 14 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 13 and 14 in our Bibles. And the title of the sermon today is, What Do You Fear? What do you fear? Or I should uh, actually, I made it a little more clear there. Not what do you fear, who do you fear? Who do you fear? This is sermon number 60 through the book of Matthew. And this is a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. As we are working through the Bible, through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, or uh, you should get one. If you, uh, if you don't, um, I don't know, if you use your phone, that's fantastic too. Some of you really prefer that, but man, there's something about a Bible in my hand that I love. There's something about ink and pages that are uh, somehow ancient now. <laughs> uh, they just, it smells amazing. And, uh, you know, the, the, there's something about having a Bible in your hand, and I love... Um, as you read through it and as you do your own study at home, you get to highlight. Maybe some of, some of you do that digitally. It's a fantastic way to do it as well. You can save that forever. But um, I want to encourage you every single week, we will be opening the Bible. So if it's an app on your phone or if it's a Bible in your hand, always be prepared to open God's Word. We'll be looking at it. And I love it. I get no greater joy than you when you are following along with me in the text, when your eyes see it for yourself. The greatest gift I could give you is you could literally take this sermon and go home and teach it to somebody else. Maybe not exactly as I did it, but you could really just work through it. And it's like, oh yeah, this and this and this and this. If someone asks you about it or you're able to explain it to somebody else, and now you are teaching God's word to somebody else. This is powerful, and I think the greatest gift that I could give you. Okay? We are in Matthew 13, working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. A sermon titled, Who Do You Fear? Heard of a story, maybe you heard this one. A man decided to rob a house during the middle of the night. And he entered the house while it was dark and quiet. And after a few steps in, he heard a voice saying, Jesus is watching you. The man was kind of freaked out. He heard it again, Jesus is watching you. He, he took out his flashlight and he started you know, pointing it around, trying to figure out what was going on, and he heard it again in the darkness, Jesus is watching you. His flashlight finally, as he, as he turned, it landed on the source of this voice, and it was, there behold, a parrot swinging in a cage. He laughed to himself, oh, it's just a dumb parrot. And he lowered his flashlight a few feet, and below the bird was a cage with a vicious-looking dog staring at him, which started growling and showing his teeth. And the parrot cried out, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> the dog's name was Jesus. <laughs> Who do you fear? You know, if you analyze your life, the way you behave, the way you live, you can figure out very quickly who and what you fear. We, we build our lives around what we fear and what we are nervous about. We avoid certain things and we react to certain things over others, you know, like, like bees. Bees. I don't get it. I mean, I guess because me and my brothers were a little bit crazy as kids, when we found a beehive, we would run at it, not from it. And we would start throwing rocks at it to see who could cut down the hive. And when it fell, um, we would party. We would have an absolute celebration because we conquered the beehive. And we would do the same thing with wasp nests. You ever seen those? And we would walk up with them with brooms, and we would hit them out of the side of the house. And this wasp would swarm everywhere, and then we would pick up the, the hives, and we would, we would rip out the larvae. I know, we were, I don't, weird. We were weird kids. And so uh, I've been stung more times uh, than I can count. I don't know, it was just part of the gig, you know? That probably explains a lot, huh? But my wife and her sisters... They see a bee, and it is life and death. Arms are flying everywhere, hair is flying everywhere, and they are running for the hills. And again, I would conclude my brothers and I are the crazy ones 
most people are nervous about bees. But really, you can determine what or who you are in fear of very quickly by watching what you react to and what you allow to influence you. Um, we see this point stand out in our text before us very loudly in two situations. We see two characters before us, number one, the Lord Jesus, and number two, John the Baptist, J the B. These two guys standing in the face of all that was going on around them, and we watch how they react. It's just sitting in here in our text, so I thought we'd talk about it today. What do you say? Matthew chapter 13 in our Bibles, we're going to start at verse 53. I'll read to chapter 14, verse 12. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? We always do this to pay honor to Him and to remember whose Word we are reading, not my words. This is the Lord's words, and they're very powerful. They minister deeply to us. Praise God. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 53. Are you there? It says, now it happened when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. And he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is, it, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they were taking offense at him because Jesus said to them, or no, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother, Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they were regarding John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Now, having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these stories. We pray now that we would be able to extract your truth, your principles from this text. Minister to our hearts. Encourage us this day. Build us with more of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we saw the Lord paint pictures about the kingdom of God being like a treasure in a field, remember? Like a pearl of great price, which men sold everything to acquire. We saw the kingdom like a net, which is cast into the water and pulls in every kind of fish and is separated on the shore by angels at the end of time, the good and evil, parables about the kingdom of God. The Lord finishes these teachings and leaves that area to go back to, Bible students, his hometown. And do you remember where he grew up? Where did he grow up? What's his hometown? Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. Gotcha. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. And then he lived or hung out by the Galilee there in Capernaum. And that's where our story picks up. Look at verse 54 in your text. And he came to his hometown and began, began teaching them in their synagogues so that they were astonished, saying, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Matthew writes that Jesus came to his hometown. This was his home home. He knew all the streets. He rode his bike around town in this area. 
He grew here as a kid. He knows every side of that tree from climbing it so many times. He remembers the bark. He knows all the details of that building from walking by it so many times. He remembers that pothole in the ground that the horses and the donkeys used to trip over. Everyone knows his name, and he knows all their families. It's his hometown. And Jesus got up in the synagogue where he grew up, his home church, and he began to teach them. And the people's minds were blown. They were moved by the concepts and connections he was making to the Old Testament, which they had never seen before. They were puzzled by the wisdom he had about marriage, family, and life. Though he had no wife, he had no children. He spoke about an invisible kingdom sitting in the scriptures which was coming to earth. He taught almost as if he had handwritten the scriptures himself. He spoke with authority as if he was the author. The people talked amongst themselves saying, where did Yeshua get this wisdom and power? Who is this guy? Verse 55, look at your Bible. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his, Mary, his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Notice he has four brothers. And his sisters, plural. Notice he has at least two sisters. Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? The older people said about the young Yeshua, they said, isn't this that little boy Yeshua that used to run around the carpenter shop and we go to get our chairs fixed by Joseph? Didn't his dad work on our furniture? Or didn't Joseph come over and repair the roof that one day and he brought his little boy Yeshua with him? That's the boy. Look at him all grown up. He speaks like he knows it all now. He'll, he'll learn eventually. He, he's a little passionate and wet around the years now, isn't he? Isn't that Mary's son? He used to come run around the park with our kids. Oh, I remember when he was in diapers, that little guy. Yeah, he has four brothers and a couple sisters. He's one of seven. He was the quiet one in the group, remember? The quiet one in the family. Now look at him all grown up, teaching, trying to tell us where God is and how to live. That's cute. Really happy for him. Hope he finds his ministry one day. But I can't believe how arrogant he sounds sometimes. Why should we listen to him? He's only 30. He's a young guy. He needs a little life experience. Yeah, Bob, I don't know who he thinks he is talking to us like we haven't studied the scriptures our whole lives. Yeah, Patty, we need to find him a wife and then he'll maybe, he'll cool down a little bit. They didn't realize who he was, did they? He was little Yeshua running around. Verse 57, and they were taking offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. The Lord gives an unbelievably profound statement that still applies to this day. A prophet has honor anywhere they go because they speak with authority from God except for their hometown and in their own household. Now, while we don't have prophets like Moses anymore, Jesus was and is the final prophet sent to write scripture, we do have those who have the gift of prophecy or the gift to speak truth with authority. Romans chapter 12 I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They do function almost as a mouthpiece for God in this day and age. And it manifests in the form of pastors most of the time in the church preaching God's word, but also in many people in the church who have a special authority about them when they speak and teach. It's a gift. People listen. They see them as an authority on Scripture. They see them as almost speaking for God to another person. You're like, man, I think that was for me. You know, when so-and-so was sharing in Bible study the other day, they just said it in such a way, it just hit me just straight in the heart. It was powerful. 
Maybe God has gifted someone to be able to do that. But I'll use myself in this example because I know me best. It's funny to me that I can go and speak at conferences in front of thousands of people or even be in a room of 10 people. And I don't know, giving a talk and, and people sometimes by the grace of God are blown away by the teaching or the things shared. They're, they're moved by the word of God. And I'm always in awe that God does this. To strangers, I'm Pastor Josh. But to all my friends I grew up with, I'm just Josh. I don't know if you knew that. And to my grandparents, aunts and uncles, many times even my own family, when I talk sometimes, a lot of times, no one pays attention. No one even cares. I, I'm to some degree that young kid they grew up with. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how high you achieve. doesn't matter how many degrees. doesn't matter what in your own household uh, you're just Joe. I know in my own home, I'm not Pastor Josh. I'm Daddy or Babe. I don't have instant authority in my own home. I have to earn that through living it out before my kids and my wife. But when I step on stage, the church and people of God, wherever I speak, give me honor because they believe I will open the word of God and handle it correctly in a manner which will speak to them. And this is a mystery. Most pastors or religious gurus won't tell you this because it strips them of their authority. But it's true. Just a man. Like you. I have real blood just like you. I do all the things that you do every single day. Yep, we're all the same. And for some reason, God gives special giftings to different people. I don't know why this is. That's up to him. But it's my job to steward it as best I can. Sometimes people, they think they deserve authority simply because they have a position, and this is dangerous. Don't ever do that. Jesus had all the authority in the world, now didn't he? And what did he chose to do with it? He served people. Remember? He's the big dog. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah. And he gets down at the Last Supper and starts washing his disciples' feet. And the guys are like, uh, Lord, what are you doing? Think about if anybody pulled out a bowl and started to try to wash your feet. Especially after you, uh, you'd been running around barefoot out in the dirt. You'd be like, uh, awkward, this is weird. I don't think you should be doing that. You know, don't we have a servant around here, they would think back in that day, who that's what they do for a living? They're the foot washer. What are you doing doing this? Peter, even when getting his feet washed or before he was about to, said, Lord, you are not washing my feet. And the Lord says, if I don't want to wash your feet, you get no part in my kingdom. Peter's like, give me a bath. I'll do double, triple washing, Lord, right now. But it's true. Most pastors or religious gurus won't tell you this because it strips them of their authority. The ultra-holy-looking priest or monk or long-bearded, white-robed, white-beard guru is a normal guy at home. And I know his kids and wife don't see him like that. They don't. It doesn't matter who you look at and think that they're ultra-holy. They're just a man. Elijah. James says this about Elijah. He was just a man like us. And God, for some reason, chose to use them. It doesn't mean God can't use them because they are a real person. That is the miracle. God uses ordinary, normal people to do extraordinary things. What is the difference then between that person and me, maybe you ask? It could simply be, if you don't feel God is using you, it could simply be submission and obedience to him. If you would simply say, Lord, use me. I give myself to you. Use me for whatever you want. I'm going to be a vessel for your glory. I will do what you ask me to do. I will go where you ask me to go. I will say what you want me to say. I will do what you want me to do. This is the difference. Abraham left his land not knowing where he was going. Moses says, I don't want to speak, Lord. I don't want to be the guy. He says, you're the guy. You're the guy. He says, I got a stuttering problem. I can't speak. He's like, fine, your brother Aaron will speak, but you're the guy. You hold the staff. 
they simply yielded themselves to God and said, Lord, do whatever you want. I do remember this moment for me in my life. I cannot say that I am a good man or that I have done wonderful things in life. I know who I am. I know my depravity. I know where I failed. But I do remember a moment when I was working construction. I'm probably like 22, 23 years old. I was out in Banning and I was digging a ditch for plumbing undergrounds. I, was learning, I learned three trades. I learned finished carpentry, plumbing, and electrical when I was a kid. And I, I started building houses with this private builder. It's what I was going to do for a living. Uh, it's what I was dreaming about. I just wanted to develop land. And uh, I started serving in the high school ministry. And I never forget the high school pastor gave me an opportunity to come work uh, making eight bucks an hour. Yes. Uh, when I was making 15 on a job site uh, already as a young guy, and I could work all the overtime I wanted, make all this money. And I remember sitting there digging a ditch, the undergrounds. If you know what undergrounds are, it's um, you literally get in these trenches. Some of them go down five feet deep. Um, and you're in there, and it's about this wide. A tractor has dug a hole, and you're cleaning out the dirt in there, you know, throwing it out. And you, you place your ABS uh, black pipe plumbing uh, under there, and then they put concrete on top of that, and all of your plumbing is under your house. Anyway, I don't know if you wanted that, but uh, there you go. Um, so I was there digging the undergrounds and, uh, and to set the pipe to make sure it has grade. And I remember having a conversation with God. I didn't hear any audible voice, but I didn't definitely sense an impressing on my heart, you know, I don't know, asking or saying, you know, what, what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to build homes? Do you want to develop land or do you want to work for me? And I told the Lord in that moment, I want to work for you. And no joke, a week later, I was hired on staff at the church and it literally changed the trajectory of my entire life in that moment. Um, I wasn't, I didn't make much, but it literally changed everything. And, and for me, I, it was a moment of just yielding myself to God, I guess. He had opened the door and allowed me opportunity, and then I just stepped into it, not, uh, not desiring anything more than what was right there, and just believing that maybe God would do something, and the rest is history. It's, it's odd to say that to you now and then be standing in the pulpit here uh, almost eight years into the church. It's amazing, but I am uh, a normal guy. God uses uh, ordinary people, normal people, to do extraordinary things. It's, it is the difference, I believe, is ultimately those not perfect people. You don't even have to be amazing. You just have to yield yourself to God. Submit yourself to him, and he will, he will do a great work in you. Jesus was by far the exception. He actually deserved all the authority, and nobody wanted to listen to him. They were offended by him. Well, because he was being a jerk? No, he was nice. Keith Green writes a song called Song to My Parents. He probably wrote this when he was around 23, 24 years old when he'd come to Jesus because he ran home to tell his parents about Jesus and they looked at him like he was a crazy man. And he says this in his song. He says, I need to say these things because I love you so. And I'm sorry you, don't, you get angry when I say that. You just don't know. There's a heaven waiting for you and me. And I know it seems every time we talk, I'm only trying just to make you see. And then he says in the chorus, it's only that I care. I really only want just to see you there. That, then he says, please try, please try and overlook my human side. I know I'm such a bad example, and you know I'm so full of pride. But Jesus isn't like that. He's perfect all the way. I guess that's why we need him, because by ourselves, there's just no way. And it's only that I care. I really only want just to see you there. And then he says this in the third verse. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Joseph and Mary's son? Well, didn't he grow up right here? He played with our children. What? He must be kidding. Thinks he's a prophet. Well, prophets don't grow up from little boys. Or do they? From little boys. Or do they? It's an amazing picture, amazing song. Because all they can see is that little boy. But prophets do grow up from little boys. It's a very interesting text in the scriptures, in the gospels, that said that Jesus actually grew in knowledge and in stature. That he actually grew from diapers into the knowledge of who he is today. I don't know how this worked. He was fully God and fully man at the same time, but chose to lay aside 
superpower ability to some degree, though he had full access to it, to be fully human like us and to grow in the likeness of us, to suffer and to work through all the things that we did. And they saw his human side completely and they said, isn't that just Yeshua? They couldn't believe him. Though they had a hard time believing in him, Jesus didn't hesitate to speak the truth to them. And they were offended, the text says. And look, if Jesus was offending people by teaching the truth, don't be scared to offend people. He was just teaching, and they got offended. It must happen. Jesus taught with perfect tact, and they still got offended. So if you're attempting to have perfect tact and you're offending, what can you do? Even the perfect one offended so many of the people in his own town. The truth does what it does. The truth sets people free and the truth offends the others. Jesus even offended his hometown. I had to decide a few years back, am I going to please God in this church or people? People get upset with me all the time. That's okay. I'm not mad at them. I just realize this is the result of preaching the truth. Now, if people are mad at me because I'm being a jerk, that's my fault. I can't blame the Word of God for that. But I have made a firm decision to side with God's Word over people's desires or opinions. I, I tried in the first few years to please everybody. I was just running around trying to make everybody happy, and I just got tired I said, D, you will absolutely die trying to fulfill all the desires of people. So you have to do the one thing that God calls us to do, and that is just solely anchor in his word and just say, I'm sorry. You know, um, I like you as a person. I actually love you as a person, um, but we won't be changing that. No, we're actually going to stay doing that. Well, you said this, and it offended me. Well, you're offending me with what you're saying right now, too. Um, I used to do this at the colleges. The kids would get so mad because... Uh, we, would, we would blast this song by a guy named Shailen. It was called Jesus is Alive. And he would, for literally five minutes of the song, say Buddha is dead, you know, Hare Krishna is dead, you know, Joseph Smith is dead, you know. All these religious gurus and great minds, they're all dead. And then he would shout in the chorus, but Jesus is alive. And he would just shout this over and over. And people walk up and be like, you're offending me. And I would get on the microphone and say, you're offending me. Oh, interesting. Uh, when, 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 when your truth is declared, uh, then you are the one offended. But when my truth is declared, uh, I don't get to say that I'm offended. Interesting. That's a contradiction. And I am fully offended by what you're saying right now. You're not going to declare that Jesus is dead. He's alive. And you're not going to tell me that cranking that song is offensive because I love it. And it actually is music to my ears. And it's truth, actually. They're all dead. So why are you mad at that? They're not alive. Can't blame the word of God for that. I had to make a decision. And you've got to make a decision, too, in your life. You're going to please people. It's exhausting. You get very tired quickly. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't love people and go over and above to try to love and serve people. Please do that. Love your neighbor. Just don't compromise the truth. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man is a trap. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. See, they wanted Jesus not to speak like that. They wanted him to keep, keep it down, Yeshua. Don't be coming around here trying to tell us we're wrong. Psalm 118.8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. People will let you down. God will never let you down. People will leave you. God will never leave you. You can trust the Lord. Um, I've already tried the other one. Tried to pour everything I can into somebody and, you know, make it happen and make it work. And they just leave. You're like, how is that possible? I, I was trying to please you. I was trying to make you happy, and it wasn't good enough, and then you still left. So I have to go the other way, and I have to just sit with the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm, I, I'm hoping that the church grows. I'm hoping that people are ministered to. I'm hoping that people come close to you. But in the end, I know you're never going to leave, so I sighed, and I sit with you forever. 
Their lack of belief in Jesus caused him to decide, my work is done here in this town. I preached in my hometown and they don't want it, so I'm out to the next town. He said that. And he didn't do many miracles because they didn't want him there. He was, a, he was an offense to them. Maybe in Jesus' town, when he got up to speak, no crowds formed. Everyone was over his truth. Only a few people came to listen. Oh, Yeshua's going to preach, one of the disciples said. The people were like, yeah, so what? And there were no crowds formed in his town. So, when he went, so he went somewhere else. Amazing, too, is that when Jesus did a miracle or got up to preach, in other places, what happened? Thousands would show up, but not in his hometown. Of course, only in his hometown, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Jesus chose to not care about what his hometown and what his family thought. He held the line and he honored God with his life. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, I think this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So Herod, if you didn't know, is the ruler of the Galilee. The Galilee is a region around the sea or actual lake of Galilee. Anybody been to the Sea of Galilee? Oh, yes. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Jay, you have been. He was on the first trip. Sea of Galilee, we, this is not an actual sea. It's a lake, and you can drive around it in about an hour. Okay? And me and my buddies actually uh, camped on the Sea of Galilee about 16 years ago. It was fun. It was crazy. It was fun. But we wanted the whole Jesus experience. And the winds came in the middle of the night and were blowing sand in our face. And it was absolutely freezing. I had the zero degree mummy bag. So I'm just like, okay, I just tucked my head over. But my buddies, they did not. And uh, we actually got on the other side of the car, packed our luggage on the other side where the wind was blowing under the car, set up a barrier. And we were tucked on the other side of the car trying to stop the wind from hammering in our face. It was fun. So Herod is the ruler, <coughs> and he is also called a king in that area, the Galilee. And that's where Jesus hung out and did most of his ministry. And the news about Jesus started to reach his throne, and these rulers don't want anyone gaining too much power and organizing people to overthrow them so that they have, so they have spies everywhere in the land sending information back to the throne constantly. Well, the news about this guy, Yeshua, starts to cause problems. He's teaching, he's teaching, and he's healing, and he's casting out demons, and people are starting to follow him. And Herod became paranoid, thinking it was John the Baptist back from the dead. Because Herod had just put John to death. And Matthew documents what happened. Here it is in our text. Take a look at what happened to John. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. You remember who John the Baptist was, right? He was a prophet of God, sent to declare the, that the Messiah was coming. He was related to Jesus in some way, potentially Jesus' cousin. Did you know that? He lived in the wilderness and was a wild man. Uh, he wore camel skin, a giant leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey. He's like, you want a locust bar? <laughs> it's got honey on it. <laughs> it's organic. <laughs> he would yell at the crowds who were walking by to repent, for the kingdom of heaven was near. The king is coming. And call them to repentance by getting, get, having them get into the water and get baptized. It was a, son of, a sign of cleansing and turning to God. And one day when he was preaching repentance and baptizing people, Jesus showed up in front of John. And John declared when Jesus all of a sudden showed up on the scene, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus walked up to John and had John baptize him right there in the Jordan River. And John was humbled and honored. And Jesus said that about John the Baptist that he was the greatest of all the prophets. Why? Because he did one thing. 
He pointed to Jesus. His whole job, just to point to Jesus. There he is. There he is. There he is. Do not follow me. There he is. That's the guy. Follow him. He's the Messiah. That's the one. He says he is the greatest of all the prophets because of what he did. John was a bruiser. He had no problem telling people to repent. Repent! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Yelling there in the wilderness. And Matthew tells us that John called out King Herod. <laughs> Not sure how he did this. Did he go to his palace and shout him down? Hey! Hey, guards! Hey, go tell Herod that what he's doing is not right. He's an adulterer. He needs to stop that and repent and turn to God. You see, Herod was sleeping with his brother's wife. And he maybe married her. And John was calling him out and said, Your sin is before God for doing this. And here is judgment upon your head. There is a greater king that you're going to stand before. You better repent, Herod. Can you imagine? Going to the governor's house and telling him to repent. You might be arrested now, huh? Well, that's exactly what happened to John. John got arrested and thrown into prison. Look at verse 5. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they were regarding John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. So Herod wanted John dead because he was calling the king out on his sin, which no one would ever question the king. But he couldn't kill John because the people saw him as a prophet of God and it would cause all kinds of problems in Herod's kingdom. But it was Herod's birthday. He's throwing a big party in the palace. And the daughter of Herod's brother's wife, the lady he was sleeping with, her daughter, so his niece, does some seductive dance for him. And he loves it so much that he promises to give her whatever she asks. Well, big mistake. Verse 8, now having been prompted by her mother, she asked, Hey, Uncle John. Give me here on a platter, the silver platter, the head of John the Baptist. Sick, disgusting, and crazy. And although he was grieved, verse 9 says, the king was actually grieved over this ask. I would have given you half the kingdom, but this is like, sheesh. You want his head on a platter? This is sick. The king commanded it to be given because of his oaths, because of his, what does it say? What does it say? Dinner guests. Because of his dinner guests. Although it seemed Herod didn't want to kill John because he declared this before the crowd at his party and the niece made a big declaration about it before the people, Herod was held to the will of the people and he feared the people more than he feared God. He feared the dinner guests. He feared the people. He feared the people more than he feared God. He knew John the Baptist was different because John the Baptist feared God above King Herod. He was not interested in gaining the respect of the king. He wanted the respect of God, John the Baptist. Because he wanted the respect of God, he said to the king, you're in sin and you need to repent and turn to God. This is... This is huge for us. I want to ask you today, who are you in the story? Herod or John? Do you want the approval of people or God? Are you trapped by the demands of people so much that you can't honor God with the decisions of your life? Do, you, do people sway your opinions or does God? Do you go along with ideas, lifestyles, and views so people will like you and give you approval? Do you hold your ground? despite losing a friendship or a client because they want you to dishonor God with your life or business? Where is the line drawn with people in your life? Where are your boundaries? You better decide now. Decide when you're young because people will take far more rope than you want to give them. They will start taking and you will find yourself in situations thinking, how did I get here? And maybe thinking I'm doing sin and I'm doing things that I never thought I would do and my life is now trash and a mess now. It happens to people. It can happen to us. 
You don't ever need to be mean. You don't ever need to be a jerk. You can fully love your friends, love your coworkers, lo love your clients. But there can be places where you say, you know what, hey, man, come on. Uh, all the doctors are going uh, to the strip club, man. This will be great networking for the uh, business, for the company. You're going to gain like 10 more clients, some big deals coming through there. Yeah, I'm, um, uh, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's okay if I don't get those clients. Why? What's wrong with you, man? I'm a Christian, man. I love God. I really love you guys. I'm thankful for the friendships, but I can't go there. And then God blesses you tenfold because you honored him instead of the world. God owns it all. Do you hold ground despite losing things? Where is the line in your life? John didn't care about the king's wealth, power, status, or connections. He cared more about his soul. And that's why he called him on his sin and it cost him his life. Do you compromise your walk with God in order to keep the approval of people around you? Herod did. He would kill John who did nothing wrong before he would kill the friendships of the people who were sinning greatly against God. Is that wild or what? We will kill that guy to keep all these friendships. It kind of happened with Pilate as well. Remember, Pilate's wife had a dream and she's like, don't touch this man. There's something special about this guy, Jesus. Don't touch him. Get away from him. And he's like, but the people, they're shouting for Barabbas. They want Jesus crucified. And he tried to wash his hands of it, remember? You can't wash your hands of Jesus. Hebrews 13, 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us not a spirit of what? Fear, but of power and of love and of self-control a sound mind. Galatians 1.10, for I am now seeking the approval of men or God. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus. Acts 5.41, I love this. These guys are crazy, crazier than me. They called in the apostles and had them beat, flogged, with whips that had bone and glass in them. They beat them, the apostles, and then they ordered them, Never again to speak the name of Jesus in this city. And they let him go. Verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple from house to house, they continued to preach and teach the message, Jesus is Messiah. They just got beat and bloodied. Peter's got a black eye. John got smashed over the head with a club. Somebody's lipping with a busted foot. And they are rejoicing that they were able to suffer for the name of Christ. Because Christ suffered for us. This is real Christianity. And we don't live in anything near what they were living in. Not even close. I am telling you, what are you scared of? You scared that you might lose a friendship because you share Jesus with them? What if they come to know Jesus? What if they let you pray for them? What if they say, I don't have a friend in the whole world like you. You're, thank you. I thank God for you. You have done what no one else in the city will do for me. You pray for me. You encourage me. You build me up. You tell me the truth. Everybody's a yes person around me. Nobody will tell me the truth. Thank you for loving me well. I'm telling you that the wealth and the power and the fame of this city, they can sniff you out so quickly. If you're being fake and try to read their mail and try to love on them and build them up and fluff them, you're just like all the rest. It's interesting, though. If you say the truth and you stand in the gap and you speak clearly, it says they, they're not dumb. They're wise and they're shrewd and they know when someone is telling them the truth, even if they don't like it, say that person's different. Oftentimes I found in the city you get more respect 
for telling somebody the truth and being honest with them than doing the opposite and just playing the game like everybody else. They may not like you today, but long term, they may come to know Jesus and be very thankful for you. I'm not telling you to be a jerk. I'm not telling you to offend people for the sake of doing it. Please don't do that. Just draw the line in the sand. Live peaceable amongst people as much as you can and proclaim the truth of Jesus. Shine the light into the darkness. Stand firm in the faith and watch God do the rest. Amen? 1 Peter 4, 6, But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear the name. Look at verses 10 to 12. And he sent and had John beheaded in prison. There it is. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. I, I just can't. It's just sick, right? What this like 16, 17 year old girl is like walking around with a head on a plate. Yee. She immediately regrets what she's done. Like Judas. What have I done? I got to go bring this to my mom. I don't know. What do I do with this? And his disciples came and took the body of John away and buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. They beheaded John for calling the king an adulterer. Herod killed a man for the approval of people. John killed his reputation for the approval of the king of all kings. John says, I really don't want the approval of all the people anyways. I just want the approval of the one that ultimately matters. And I would tell you this, that in honoring him and trying to gain his approval, you actually gain the approval of many. Some of the best relationships in your life will be because you have honored God first. And it has brought forth life into your family, into your friendships, into your church into your workplace. And God will bless you for doing it. I want to go back to verse 1. I want you to see this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus, and he said to his servants, watch this, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod was haunted by John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was so powerful in his stand for truth and fear of God, he resembled Jesus. They thought John was back for the dead, calling himself Jesus. Let me rephrase it. I don't think there is a better compliment in the world than for Jesus to be mistaken for John the Baptist. Jesus is doing all these crazy things in town, and Herod's like, it must be John the Baptist. Back from the dead, because that's what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was mistaken for Jesus. Because John the Baptist was so much like Christ. Incredible. I never saw it before. It's sitting there in the text. Isn't that amazing? He must be John the Baptist risen from the dead. The secret to John's ministry was he feared God. The secret to Jesus' ministry was he showed what it meant to fear God and walk not in the approval of people, but of his Father. And that is the secret. Who do you fear? Who are you living for? In fearing God, we end up loving people better, I'm telling you. Proverbs 9.10, fear the Lord. It is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, God says. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And finally, Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He goes before you. So stop, church. Stop, please, worrying so much about what other people think of you. You worship God. You walk in the fear of the Lord, and he will take care of the rest. He will bless you. He will bless your hands. He will bless your work. 
He will bless your family. He will bless your life. Amen? We're going to worship in communion as we turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Let's turn our hearts to him. Let's turn our gaze to him. Let's remember him now. Father, we worship you this morning. To fear you, to know you, is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. It's the beginning, step one. We choose to honor you. We choose to lift you up. We choose to side with you above the ways of the world. And Lord, I ask for wisdom. Give us wisdom in this day, in this clever city that has ways of blurring lines and doing all kinds of things to get us in situations and wonder, how did I get here? Oh, God, give us wisdom in our families. Give us wisdom in our work. Give us wisdom in our friendships. Help us to beam a love and a peace and a joy that people can't resist. But help us also to stand in truth. It would help people know where to find the truth because that's what sets them free. And Father, I pray now for everyone gathered today that we would remember the gospel, we would remember the good news that you have done. We have sinned against you greatly. We've separated ourselves from you. But Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done to come and live a perfect life for us, to lay down your life for us, your death, burial, and resurrection, to pay for our sins, to take our punishment that we deserved, sinning against you. And you declare forgiven, and you let us go free. And then you make us your kids. You make us your children. You become a father to us. You become a shepherd to us. You become a king to us. We become your people. And Lord, we believe on this message. We believe on this work. As we turn to you, we actually come to life. We have newness of life. We thank you for all that you've done in your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for what you've done in forgiving us. And I pray for everyone gathered here today that they would call upon you now for forgiveness of sins. They would call upon you now for reconciliation of a relationship. They would call upon you now for peace and for rest and for joy. They would call upon you now to be Lord and Savior over their life. They would yield themselves to you. They would submit themselves to you with all of their heart. And Lord, that you would... You would bless them. You would fill them. You would help them to walk with you through all of the pain and suffering of life. You would carry them. We turn to you now with all of our hearts. We prepare ourselves to remember the great work that you've done. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.